Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We worship an awesome God in the blue states. The, the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America. My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Welcome to the History of Evangelicals and Politics, the Obama Era. This is episode 15, Massachusetts Legalizes Same-Sex Marriage. I'm John Fia. The Christian right was preparing all summer and fall for this moment. On November 18th, 2003, when the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court finally issued its decision in Goodrich versus Department of Health, the Anti-Same-Sex Marriage Coalition, which included the likes of the Family Research Council, Concerned Women for America, and Focus on the Family, had already unleashed a preemptive counteroffensive in the form of press releases, websites, articles extolling the virtues of marriage between one man and one woman, articles extolling the evils of gay marriage, and, with the help of President George W. Bush, an entire week devoted to the protection of traditional marriage. Five days before the Goodridge decision, Southern Baptist spokesperson Richard Land and a group of fellow Southern Baptist pastors issued the Kansas City Declaration on Marriage in what by this point was common Christian right language on the issue. The declaration propounded that any weakening of the traditional Judeo-Christian definition of marriage will undermine the foundation of Western culture and result in deep, permanent fractures that will fundamentally alter American culture, indeed, all of Western civilization. It called on Southern Baptists to engage in a redemptive ministry to gays and lesbians. In other words, only a born-again conversion could rid people 
of the sin of homosexuality. The Kansas City Declaration also argued, as other Christian right groups had done before, that long-term homosexual relationships, especially among males, are extremely rare. But unlike most other traditional marriage defenders, Land took the argument one step further by claiming that because homosexual relationships were prone to fail, children who grew up in these homes were more likely to spend their entire lives in poverty and would thus require an ever-expanding government that must assume more and more of the burden of taking care of the emotional, physical, and economic well-being of its citizens. It was all connected in Land's mind. Gay marriage would lead to more big government. The decision in the Goodrich case went the way everyone expected it would go. In a 4-3 vote, the high Massachusetts court decided that same-sex marriage was constitutional. Chief Justice Margaret Marshall's majority decision said, in part, the question before us is whether, consistent with the Massachusetts Constitution, the Commonwealth may deny the protections, benefits, and obligations conferred by civil marriage to two individuals of the same sex who wish to marry. We conclude that it may not. The Massachusetts Constitution affirms the dignity and equality of all individuals. It forbids the creation of second-class citizens. And then in a statement that provided future fodder for anti-gay marriage advocates, Marshall added, we are mindful that our decision marks a change in the history of our marriage law. She went on. Many people hold deep-seated religious, moral, and ethical convictions that marriage should be limited to the union of one man and one woman, and that homosexual conduct is immoral. Many hold equally strong religious, moral, and ethical convictions that same-sex couples are entitled to be married, and that homosexual persons should be treated no differently than their heterosexual neighbors. Neither view answers the question before us. Our concern is with the Massachusetts Constitution as a charter of governance for every person properly within its reach. Marshall then quoted directly from the Lawrence v. Texas case. This was the summer of 2003 decision that ended anti-sodomy laws in America. It said, our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not to mandate our own moral code. The leaders of the Christian right did not miss the opportunity to point out that this quote first appeared in the United States Supreme Court's decision in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. That was the 1992 case that upheld Roe v. Wade. Justice Francis X. Spina wrote the dissenting opinion. It was the standard response of conservative justices in these kinds of cases. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia had made a similar dissent in Lawrence v. Texas. Spina wrote, what is at stake in this case is not the unequal treatment of individuals or whether individual rights have been impermissibly burdened, but the power of the legislature to effectuate social change without interference from the courts 
pursuant to Article 30 of the Massachusetts Declaration of Rights. The power to regulate marriage lies with the legislature, not with the judiciary. Today, the court has transformed its role as protector of individual rights into the role of creator of rights. In other words, Spina argued, let the people, through their elected officials, decide whether same-sex marriage should be legal in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. The court gave the Massachusetts state legislature 180 days to take action as it may deem appropriate in light of this opinion. If the legislature did not act by changing the constitution to allow gay marriage, then marriage licenses would be given to same-sex couples beginning on May 17, 2004. The press releases came quickly. David Sang, the executive director of Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, noted that the three dissenting justices were appointed by Republican governors. Nevertheless, he called the decision a tremendous victory for fairness and for families. Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council was relieved that the court stopped short of granting marriage license to the same-sex couples who wanted them, but added that it was inexcusable for this court to force the state legislature to fix its state constitution to make it comport with the pro-homosexual agenda of four court justices. It was now time, Perkins argued, to amend the United States Constitution if we are to stop a tyrannical judiciary from redefining marriage to the point of extinction. More on these efforts in coming episodes. Jan LaRue, the Chief Counsel for Concerned Women for America, called upon the Massachusetts legislature to summon the moral courage to impeach the majority of justices on the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court for their abuse of power and distortion of the state constitution. She added, even if the legislators ignore the will of the people and institute some type of civil unions, a license can't create a marriage any more than a licensed electrician can produce power by taping two same-sex plugs together. Sean O'Malley, the Catholic Archbishop of Massachusetts, called the Goodridge decision radical. He said that it is alarming that the Supreme Judicial Court in this ruling has cast aside what has been the very definition of marriage held by people for thousands of years. The four Massachusetts bishops, including O'Malley, issued a letter to be read at mass on the weekend of November 29th that said the decision was a sure formula for chaos because it did not give lawmakers and citizens enough time to understand the rule. The letter also said that Goodridge turned those who opposed gay marriage into villains. And of course, it affirmed traditional marriage as a gift of God. The Philadelphia Archdiocese called Goodridge a bad legal decision and a bad moral decision. It's bad legally because it continues down a dangerous path of allowing courts to decide important legal issues rather than legislatures. And it is a bad moral decision because if every relationship the participants believe is special is deemed marriage 
at some point, the term marriage becomes meaningless. Gordon P. Hugenberger, the pastor of Boston's historic Park Street Church, one of American evangelicalism's flagship congregations, told the Boston Globe that he was of two minds about the Goodrich decision. Of course, we want to affirm the dignity and civil rights of our homosexual neighbors, but it's unquestionably the case that the framers of our fine state constitution would be shocked to find that they had enshrined some right for same-sex marriage. It's hard to discuss this without being accused of homophobia, Hugenberger said, but this is not going to advance the cause of mutual understanding. Martin Lyle, minister at the Pegram, Tennessee Church of Christ, said that the decision reveals that many in American society today believe that marriage is merely a social construct, that a court, company, or government can define however they see fit. It exposes what I believe is only the most recent mark of our culture's downward spiral from the high moral and social ethic found in the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. David Dockery, the president of Evangelical Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, also opposed the decision, but he focused on how the church must respond. Goodridge should lead Orthodox Christian churches to think hard about the definition of marriage. Not only must the purpose of marriage be examined, but important and particular issues such as procreation and sexual relations, not just mutual stimulation in marriage, must be carefully understood. Dockery asked the church to think seriously about the question of who has the authority to define marriage? Is it God or government? Conservative Boston Globe columnist Jeff Jacoby, an Orthodox Jew, also criticized the decision. In a column titled, Down the Slippery Slope, Jacoby said Justice Margaret Mitchell's claim that the Goodridge decision does not disturb the fundamental values of marriage in our society is either the most dishonest assertion in the majority decision or the most naive. Either way, he said, it is false. Of course, the most radical definition of marriage in centuries is going to have deeply disturbing consequences, Jacoby argued. It may be a decade or two before the full impact is evident, but some of the coming changes we can anticipate right now. In the Supreme Judicial Court's brave new world of gender-neutral marriage, he added, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts will no longer communicate to its citizens that the central purpose of marriage is to bind men and women exclusively to each other and to the children that their sexual behavior is apt to produce. It will communicate instead that marriage was created to gratify grown-ups by reinforcing their committed romantic relationships. To be sure, Jacoby went on, a loving relationship is ideal in any marriage. But that isn't why every society in history has defined marriage as an institution for linking the sexes. Jacoby then took a prophetic tone. Soon it will become improper to speak of unique sex roles in family life. Soon the meanings and status associated with words like husband and wife will be erased from the law. Soon the words father and mother will give way to parent. In an op-ed at the Los Angeles Times, Harvard law professor Alan Dershowitz 
advanced the compromise position on the issue. The solution to our marriage debate, he argued, is to unlink the religious institution of marriage, as distinguished from the secular institution of marriage, from the state. Under this proposal, he added, any couple could register for civil union, recognized by the state with all rights and responsibilities. Religious couples could then go to the church, synagogue, mosque, or other sacred institution of their choice to be married. These institutions would have total authority over which marriage to recognize. Catholic churches would not recognize gay marriage. Orthodox Jewish synagogues would not recognize a marriage between a Jew and a non-Jew who did not wish to convert to Judaism. And institutions that chose to recognize gay marriage could do it. Marriage would be entirely a religious decision beyond the scope of the state. Dershowitz believed that such a plan would strengthen the wall of separation between church and state by placing a sacred institution entirely in the hands of the church while placing a secular institution under state control. In Dershowitz's plan, the word marriage would thus be reserved for the religious sacrament. Democratic presidential candidates issued statements supporting traditional marriage but also opposing a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage and defending the full constitutional rights of gay couples. Patrick Guerrero, the executive director of the Log Cabin Republicans, the nation's largest gay Republican organization, praised the Goodrich decision and lamented the rhetoric of Christian culture warriors trying to reshape his political party. The radical right is demanding a culture war and calling for a civil war within the Republican Party at a level not seen since the 1992 Houston Convention. The reference here was to Pat Buchanan's infamous culture war speech at the 92 GOP National Convention, a speech that Guerrero believed may have cost George H.W. Bush the presidency. The Republican Party in the White House, Guerrero argued, should stick with jumpstarting the economy and winning the war on terrorism rather than going down the path of Patrick Buchanan, Gary Bauer, Pat Robertson, and the failed strategy of the past. In a statement to the New York Times, Boston College cultural critic and political scientist Alan Wolf said, This comes pretty close to an earthquake politically. And I think it's exactly the right kind of material for a backlash. Marvin Olasky of World Magazine agreed with Wolf about Goodrich. But unlike Wolf, he was prepared to join the backlash. In a syndicated column titled, Court's Gay Marriage Ruling Will Spark a National Backlash, Olasky described the court's decision in Goodrich as, in essence, gay marriage is good and you're nuts if you don't think so. His column rallied the troops. To build a strong resistance, he wrote, leaders of the pro-marriage movement need to come to quick agreement and then push very hard. Roughly an hour after the high court handed down the Goodrich decision, Massachusetts Republican Governor Mitt Romney called for a state constitutional amendment defining marriage as a union between one man and one woman. In February 2004, Robert Travaglini, president of the Massachusetts Senate, 
convened a constitutional convention for such a purpose. Representative Philip Travis, an evangelical Democrat from Rehoboth, already had an amendment on the table. It said that only the union of one man and one woman shall be valid or recognized as a marriage in Massachusetts. Any other relationship shall not be recognized as a marriage or its legal equivalent. But most gay marriage opponents in the legislature did not think that Travis's amendment had a chance of passing unless the last four words or its legal equivalent were removed. By eliminating these words, the amendment would, in essence, allow civil unions as a legal equivalent of marriage. Striking these four words would not please everyone, especially organizations such as the Massachusetts Family Institute, Concerned Women for America, and the Family Research Council. These, by the way, were all organizations who submitted amicus briefs to the Massachusetts legislature. But many legislators saw it as a necessary compromise. At the time Travaglini called the convention, a revised amendment had 109 of 200 votes in the Massachusetts House and 14 of 40 votes in the Senate. But of course, these votes could change and anything could happen. According to Massachusetts law, a constitutional amendment needed to pass two consecutive legislatures. If this happened, the amendment would then go before the voters in November 2006. This would be three years after the Goodrich decision came down. In an advisory opinion, the Supreme Judicial Court reminded Romney, Travaglini, and Travis that an amendment that merely affirmed civil unions but did not support the right of homosexuals to marry would still be unconstitutional. Meanwhile, a meeting between Romney and the original plaintiffs in the Goodrich case went nowhere. Romney refused to consider dropping his push for a pro-traditional marriage amendment, and the plaintiffs felt that they were not being heard by the governor. Gay marriage opponents associated with organizations called Your Catholic Voice and the Marriage Coalition drew two to 3,000 people at a rally in Boston Common on February 8th, where they distributed pro-traditional marriage videos featuring Harvard law professor Marianne Glendon and former Boston mayor Raymond Flynn. On the day following Travaglini's announcement of a convention, Peter Gomes, the Pusey minister of the Memorial Church at Harvard University, weighed in with a piece at the Boston Globe. Gomes argued that the Supreme Judicial Court's decision in Goodridge did not address religious issues, and the court's ruling was not premised on religious grounds. Marriage in Massachusetts, he argued, was always understood as a civil matter. The earliest marriages in the Plymouth Colony were civil ceremonies, not religious ones. In an argument somewhat similar to the one made by Alan Dershowitz, Gomes wrote that the legitimate interests of religious communities and what some of them regard as the sacrament of marriage are worthy of consideration. But those interests must not be confused with either the civil law of the Commonwealth 
or the civil rights of citizens under the Constitution. No clergy of any denomination are required to wed anyone whose union they do not approve. He added, it is to the civil rights of the citizens of Massachusetts that the Supreme Judicial Court responded in the Goodrich case. And this was no attack on the church nor on religion. Gomes then addressed attempts by Travaglini and others to pass a traditional marriage amendment, claiming that the rights of homosexuals will be jeopardized by a tyranny of the majority if the legislature gets to decide who can and cannot marry. On February 11, 2004, Travaglini's controversial constitutional convention got underway. Stay tuned. of Evangelicals and Politics is produced by Casey Lehman. It is a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com and clicking the red support 